This hour is brought to you by EOC Audio, Chicagoland's leader in audio, video, networking, and home automation. It's our guy Wex at EOCAudio.com. Anthony Heron, score football analyst. You know what? Brad Pitt, you're a good actor. You're a movie star. You're more of a movie star than a great actor. And that's okay because you're in really good movies and I enjoy them. Former NFL defensive lineman and Iowa Hawkeye. And as long as that ends up being the case, hey, Bishop, I'm still on the radio. No, it's all right. He can hang. Paw Patrol. I need another Paw Patrol. Okay, I'm going to come turn <laughs> yeah, it on in just yeah, a couple yeah, of moments, all right? Big and Heron. Mr. Hedden, I want to compliment you. You're doing a fine job. With Bernstein and Holmes on the score. You know the deal with Anthony Heron. He, he rolls in on his own timetable. Well, he's got 100 jobs, so... He's finishing up one job, and mm-hmm. he's making it over here mm-hmm. so he can be part of another job. That's how it works. No, I, I get it. Because, you know, you never know. You never know when things are going to collapse. or you got to have multiple income streams. It's very important. Smart. Well, see, yeah, he has a lot of knowledge to, to share as well, you know, across college, you know, college game, pro game. Man's, man's smart. He is. Yeah, he's he's used to us being late to break too. That's probably I know. another thing. I, I think because you're when when we are unexpectedly disciplined. Yes, in our business. Oh no, guys, we were still late. Oh, shut up, studs! Come on, studs! I, I don't want to. I'm not going to. I'm not going to let you get away with that. Perception is reality. The, the bit. Look on. at the clock. You can, you know we're late. Let's I get can't out of here with see that. the clock. So I asked Port to put one over there. You can't see that. Well, I can, but if I do that, then I'm over here, and I'm not looking at you, and I'm not looking. You know, get one over there. Put they got two. There's like two clocks here. Let's put one of them over there. Hey, man! If our sister station down the hall, WBBM, can have two on-air studios, we can have two clocks yeah. at least. They have a studio they don't even use, and you're not allowed to touch. No, it. that's the Rob Hart studio. Well, that studio is like the living room. Where your mom keeps like the nice furniture and everything. like you, you're not allowed in there. There's the plastic covers around everything. There's like a little dish of hard candy. The good china, <laughs> right? So G- that's in that that studio. You're not allowed in there. You can't. You have to sign in or something. They never use it. Never. No, they do. Only our only our guy Rob Hart uses it because he's the only newsman. Studs, Rob do you Hart's know an that old fashioned newsman? That guy wears a tie at at the fan. Every show has their own studio. That sounds about right because they all hate each other. <laughs> I mean, over at uh, okay, so yeah, just like this. <laughs> over at oh, over they, at NBC, they really hate each other. Over at NBC Tower, you know, because they they uh, redid the whole floor over there for the radio group over there. Yeah, and so Man Cow had his own studio when he was there. There was yeah. a sports studio where we did games <laughs> from. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, Ray, Some, I didn't mean to trigger someday, you. Ray. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, well, studs, someday. we were we were over there. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we and it used to be great because then everyone could see everyone. You could look from the producer studio all the way back to the update studio, but we don't do updates anymore. But still, I also uh, hey, look, it's Anthony it's Heron. Big Heron. I, I also lost a wrestling match with a a very uh, diminutive Taiwanese woman on Friday evening. So that that's why I'm moving a little bit slower today oh, okay. than, than I would be. Uh, oh, you went to go get a massage. Have you ever had a Thai massage? No. Oh, man. It's, you got uh, beat up? It's an experience. So I, I knew going in, because Friday was about self-care for me. Good I, for I you. Went and, went and order. You know, we're, we're in, for me, the football offseason. So I, I try to take a little bit of extra time just to, you know, just to decompress, to relax after the very 
the very hectic football season that my calendar usually uh, induces. But then Friday, so I got up, had a, an, an amazing breakfast sandwich from Eleven City Diner, which I very much enjoyed. I love that place. And then later in the day, I went and got a Thai massage. And I always tell my wife, I need to get back to scheduling more massages. And I usually don't. But this time around, I said, on Friday, you know what? Let me just see who's got something available in the neighborhood. There was a place that had a massage available in, in walking distance from my home. But I'd never had a Thai massage before. Is this like rolfing? So, Is this where they just like beat the hell out of you? That's what it turned into. And I, I wasn't aware of that. Like I went in thinking, like, I, don't, I don't get massages as much as I used to. Like Back when I was an additional 30 pounds of muscle, it took a lot to even make me like feel the pressure when, mm-hmm. when very experienced people would try to get in there into the sinews and everywhere else. I'm not built like that anymore. And I don't get massaged that often. So it, it so doesn't you're, take nearly you're as much. You're easier to massage uh, I, in your that's, old age. That's one okay. way to look at it. Yes. Okay. Easier to manipulate. So I, I get in the room, and the lady's tiny when she walks in. So I know I'm in for it anyway. Whenever I see a, a tiny masseuse, I'm like, okay, they must be rather Strong. powerful for yes. their size. She walks in the room. And she gets, and at first it starts off kind of normal. It's like, oh, she's got strong hands. All right, yeah, maybe I could ask her to ease up at some point, but we'll see how this goes. Inevitably, I always fall asleep at some point during the massage. Mm-hmm. So I did. I dozed off a little ways into this, but then what first woke me up was her, and both shoulders have had surgeries. My back has had surgery. My knees have had surgeries. What woke me up the first time was her lifting my right arm and my right shoulder is not in great shape. It's not as bad as my left shoulder, but right shoulder's not in great shape. So she cranks that up from one end of the table. Oh, so okay, I'm I'm sorry. She apologizes. But then she still proceeds to wrap the Mm -hmm. thing behind my back and press against it just to sort of open up this part of the joint, kind of the AC joint, to start lengthening that. I'm like, all right, I'm put up with this, but let me go ahead and stay awake so I can be alert. Just add a little bit of resistance when she's doing some of these things. (laughs) Because I'm being assaulted. And that's what it started to feel like. So she does the same thing with the left shoulder. There was a point where truly she had me in a figure four leg lock. Like she really had. She came behind me in the hip flexors fairly tight at this age. She lifts up the left leg, twists my left knee, which is very brittle, twists the left knee here, puts the right leg over the top of it. And then at a certain point, she says, Woo! And then she goes say, on the back I, of the I, table. I, 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 <laughs> she goes on the back of the table. Did she ever I refer did tap to you out. as a jabroni at any point? <laughs> I had to tap out at a certain point. I literally tapped my head on the table. Like, whoa, 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 miss, miss, miss. <laughs> because at a certain point, when you're manipulating my knees, it, it became a bit too much. So there were a couple All of tap right. outs. Now, so, well, so, so I have questions. Okay. So you clearly didn't necessarily sign up for this. I didn't know what I was signing up for. Will you go back? So what or, I'm going to do. Or do you need, like, because it felt, it felt like what you were saying was you needed a, a an incense burning, like. You needed a Reiki session. I, yes. I didn't like a sports massage. No, I wasn't I, I wasn't prepared for all the joint manipulation. Yeah, I think you needed more here. like some placement of some crystals and yes. your chakras. As long as I got strong hands. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can do that. I, I got, I some, I got that. someone for you. Now, I, I would do this. I would do it again, but I would go and prepare it, and I would go in. After several massages, my body's more prepared for that degree of stress and tension. I'll say this, like before the massage, I couldn't have looked at Lawrence without turning my full upper body. My neck is now much looser than it was. So the rest of that day, I didn't feel great. Following day, I felt much better. All right. What was your favorite football game? Um, the, The Detroit game. Just kind of knowing what it means to that city and seeing some of those scenes of, of them doing this for the first time in, in really most people's lifetime and multiple generations of Detroit fans. 
and and Dan Campbell, the meathead that he is, but just still, you know, the, the culture guy, but being able to get that locker room galvanized, the city behind him, and everybody just kind of soaking that in and what it means to Detroit as a sports fandom. Coming off the heels of Michigan winning a national championship, now you got the Lions going to the NFC title game. It is it is quite a day. It, it is quite a morning, quite a, quite a lifetime right now for Detroit fans. I want to ask you about Aiden Hutchinson because seeing him – over the last few weeks, develop this Dwight Freeney-esque mm. spin move. Mm. How, do, how does a defensive lineman start to tinker with counter and counter? Because he's already got speed and power. Like, mm. you can see some of those. I, I feel like it's terrifying if he's able to get this spin move down. For, for a guy like Hutchinson, who now, you know, plays so much and with so much prominence and there's so much film on him, even going back to college, but when opponents have had a chance to study him up and, and what are his go-to moves, he was largely a, a power and speed rusher, but speed doesn't necessarily equate um, automatically to quality finesse. But for his size, he is extremely fast. So he, he'd be able to sort of, with speed, power through the upfield shoulder of an offensive tackle. But he wasn't a guy with a, with a great amount of counter moves who could set you up to counter club back inside that effectively or to be able to counter spin back inside. And so him adding that to his bag of tricks, one of those is to be able to, to just add flexibility to his body and the coordination that it takes. And a lot of guys, you know, it may come more natural. Like Dwight Freeney was sort of the opposite where he got to a point in his career where because he was built low to the ground, he could add more power to his game, even though he was kind of diminutive in stature for a defensive end, but he could get leverage on offensive tackles uh, at, you know, just basically whenever he wanted. And so after he was able to get speed in the feet of guys really frequently and then show that spin move, then he could add a little stutter and get an, an offensive tackle to kind of stop his feet. And once he had them perpendicular with the line of scrimmage, he could power into them, even though he wasn't a guy who weighed 290 or 300 pounds. And Aiden Hutchinson is kind of the opposite of that, where he's a guy who, even though he is very tall and angular in build, he's still a fairly thick guy who can use power, use power effectively in college. But now the ability to set someone up thinking that he's going to attack that upfield or outside shoulder. And once they begin to open up, to time it up effectively, and a lot of it comes down to, you know, are you naturally coordinated enough to know? Once I plant my inside foot, I'm kind of spinning on the ball of that foot. And then as I'm doing it, you don't want to spin in place. You want to still be able to gain ground, keeping your momentum working back across the body of the offensive tackle. Some guys that comes more naturally too than others. Aiden is, is a tall, fast guy. He's not the loosest guy in his hips. So adding that move to his game, you can tell he's worked at it. It takes a little bit of additional practice and just going through the methodical steps of how do you actually, what step am I at when I get there, when I engage that, that offensive tackle? And then once I get there, then what is that, that right fulcrum to be able to spin off of? And he's really gotten better at it. Dan brought up something from the Baltimore game that I think is kind of interesting, and it's a an approach to dealing with a spy. Oh, you want to play spy? How about we just run an offensive hmm. lineman to the second level and take care of your spy and hmm. let our quarterback deal with it? I thought it was a pretty cool thing that we saw the offense of Baltimore do. And to to know that you have a quarterback who is at a point in his development where Lamar Jackson can can make decisions in a moment's notice, whether it is a full called QB lead type of play, or if it is an RPO where you're going to still have the offensive line show a, a potential run look, and then if he pulls the ball from the mesh point to be able to threaten as a passer, now the defense is in that much more of a bind. But, you know, 
to not have your QB just consistently be set up like a pure running back where you know there's going to be one unblocked guy at the second or at the third level or maybe coming off the edge. That still is a part of most offenses. It's a part of Baltimore's offense where often enough, Lamar with the ball in his hands, there will be an unblocked defender that he's expected to account for, whether as a runner or as an option passer off of that. But to actually be able to utilize the fact that your QB is running and you have that additional blocker available to you, where now you have the numbers advantage on the defense. Baltimore doing more and more of that, where I did feel like earlier in Lamar's career, maybe that wasn't as much of a part of their offense where more frequently it was just, here's unblocked defender, figure it out. Then he can figure it out effectively like a lot of athletes can, like a lot of great runners can. But now you, you do have the additional advantage of that where that additional blocker can now account for that additional defender. And yeah, maybe you don't have as many guys out in the route tree just because the numbers advantage isn't as exaggerated, but he can make decisions at that level now where the offense is more versatile, more varied than it was early on. With Josh Allen, he keep he keeps being close. Yeah. Like he's so close to having the breakthrough against Mahomes mm-hmm. and taking like that next step. What's keeping it from happening? And is any of it on him? Some of it is certainly on him. I mean, you know, Mahomes has very, I, I suppose I'll just say similar. Each of them are guys who who are capable of and like to try and make plays beyond the X's and O's of the of the design. We'll go beyond the confines of the play design. Josh Allen is more careless with that. Now, he he didn't turn the ball over, I think, at all this postseason. So he, you know, more so than he did during the regular season, protected the football more effectively. But by comparison with Mahomes, you see Mahomes more adeptly being able to combine the playmaking ability with knowing when and how that right decision-making access is in a given play. I mean, it's one of the things that, that worries me a bit about about Caleb Williams because like Patrick Mahomes is kind of one of one in that regard with yes. the ability to so consistently play off script and beyond the, the the play design and do it as a passer at a level that we've never seen before. And Caleb Williams has that ability. Josh Allen has that ability. But he but, manages the the bleeding edge of it better than anybody. That that right. that moment in between, have I done this to get someone open downfield mm-hmm. or or am I taking off? He almost never misjudges that. It's it's kind of the the enhanced degree of Aaron Rodgers. What Aaron Rodgers was in his prime when he's when he was at his best. It almost seemed like he was kind of looking into the future in certain ways and being able to judge defenders judge moments and situations and his ability to make a a given play that most people, a lot of people wouldn't even attempt, but he was able to do that in a really consistent way that, you know, what's, what's a good pass attempt for a guy like Patrick Mahomes, almost anything, do it left-handed, do it with your eyes closed, whatever, it doesn't matter. And he does it so frequently that it seems like, all right, I guess that should be a part of the QB evaluation. What did you learn about the Niners offense without Debo Samuel? And what is the significance of whether or not he has any ability to really genuinely play this week? Well, out of any player in really that will be in the NFC championship game, Christian McCaffrey is the guy who's just at the at the apex of his abilities right now. At some point, I mean, he's a running back. You know, he's going to get over the hill probably in the not too distant future. But for Christian McCaffrey and Brock Purdy recognizing that, Kyle Shanahan recognizing that. When Debo Samuel is in that offense for San Francisco, 
He can be not only the safety valve. He can be the extension of the run game. He can be the guy who can take the top off a of defense as well and adds that additional comfort to a QB with no Debo Samuel, then yes, you still had to be able to to rely on some inexperienced wide receivers and credit to Brock Purdy on a game where he struggled a lot. Yeah, he didn't look real good. Until that final drive, and then he was more on time and in rhythm without Debo Samuel, but Christian McCaffrey in pass protection as a route runner and as just a pure runner between the tackles, you just see the full array of skills that he provides and everything within that, whether it's George Kittle, being that additional comfort for Brock Purdy as a quarterback or the offensive line, just knowing we just got to get a hat on a guy for a moment here inside the five and McCaffrey will find a way to make something happen. It doesn't have to be blocked perfectly, but from this alignment, oh, that, that's a touch. Trent Williams was talking about it after the game. We're getting at least a yard, if not a touchdown, just from this look. So you don't think though. it's make or break? I mean, it sounds like this – see, I think they're really vulnerable to the Lions without – Debo Samuel really being healthy. I mean, they may have him out there. Mm. They may say he's fine, but it, it just it looked to me. I don't want to say ordinary, mm. but the offense was not not scary. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're vulnerable to Detroit anyway because of Detroit. I just think the Lions are playing at that level now. At home is one thing, and that there's a volume you know at Ford Field right now that really assists their defense. So taking that show on the road. And it's a Detroit defense that isn't overwhelming. You know, the defensive advantage would certainly be San Francisco having the better defense on the field this weekend. But between the two, because you have such a varied and versatile offense, you have a team with full belief in what they're doing right now. That matters to take that on the road when you know you're a game away from a berth in the Super Bowl. So I think Detroit is a threat either way. Not having Debo Samuel certainly matters. But you still got McCaffrey. You still got Kittle. You still Ayuk. got one of the best offensive lines in football. You got Brandon Ayuk. And you got a quarterback who – where Brock Purdy in college, I saw him multiple times melt against the Iowa defense, let alone anything he was going to do in the National Football League. This was a game that impressed me because he didn't have it. He wasn't playing at a high level, and the rain's starting to come down. That was one of the coolest highlights I've ever seen Yeah, of right. him wiping his hand <laughs> mid-drop back. Like that, is, that was like, right. who would even think to uh, do that? Like yeah. As you're surveying the defense to put the ball in your other hand to wipe your hand to make sure you can grip it. I thought that was one of the coolest things I saw. So he is maturing and developing in a way that's real while at the same time being insulated by the best play caller in football and by all that talent that they have on offense and on a, uh, by a defense that keeps them in virtually every game, but he is also getting better. He is also improving, and he very well responded to that moment late in game when he had to be able to get a drive together, and it was on his arm on some of those plays, and he made the play on time and in rhythm in a game where he didn't have it. He wasn't in rhythm prior to that final drive. Speaking of play callers, the Bears apparently have a new one. He is coincidentally represented by the same agent that represents Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, or causally. Or maybe coincidentally, <laughs> so we don't know. The point is, Shane Waldron is apparently the guy. We'll discuss that and more with the Bears rounding out their staff next on The Score. Bernstein and Holmes, your midday destination for Chicago sports talk on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I have not gotten in his way because he has such command of what he's doing uh, he knows how it fits together and, and and he's able to he's been able to orchestrate the teaching process in a way that's allowed us to do a, a, quite a few things for this you know for this offseason and uh, I know that you can hear from the players they're, they're impressed with him uh, he's, he's just left them with a really good impression of his command his uh, his verbiage uh, the the 
the style of teaching is, is has has been accessed. The, the, these guys are really move, moving far. So uh, um, they're impressed. I'm impressed. And, and um, like I like I said to Jen, and we, we're we're ahead of where we thought we'd be right now. So um, it's really a, tr a tribute. To, he's done a nice job with this. Awfully impressive. I'm surprised that they didn't want to keep him. The, the problem is is that that guy's not coaching anymore. I know, but I'm, I'm, if he's that impressive, you'd think someone else might be impressed. Like Bears, like the Bears were impressed with their offensive line coach, so they kept him. Like this guy's not going anywhere. The offensive coordinator, a little different. Well, I'm just saying, if you're, if you're that impressed, is this a promotion thing? Like are you thinking, hey, why didn't they just promote him to, to Pete's role? I don't know, but this is uh, this. Uh, it's the guy that's Pete Carroll talking about his former offensive coordinator Shane Waldron. The former Tufts Jumbo, who is now apparently in line to be in charge of the Bears' offense. Uh, nickname? That's their team. He was, oh, okay. He was the, he was he was the, the, the Tufts Jumbo. No, they are the Jumbos. Oh, okay. He gotcha. was a Tufts right. Jumbo. He was a Tufts Jumbo, not a, the Tufts Jumbo. No, we Jumbo. learned today that the Tufts Jumbos were named after the original P.T. Barnum Jumbo, the elephant, huh. because P.T. Barnum was a trustee and benefactor and, and, to Tufts. Yeah. and benefactor for right, Tufts University news to me I, I definitely don't know every mascot out there I should have known that because I, <laughs> I toured the campus and when I was considering it and I didn't retain that that should have been a selling point for you to be a jumbo uh, I would see that would be the type of thing you might was, be into I, I five minutes in that tour I'm yeah, like, nah, that was it that here. was enough for you yep I, mean, I like the hire you know it, it doesn't it doesn't quell every concern that I would have about the the Bears for this coming season, but he's he's one of the hottest offensive coordinator candidates that were out there. He's a, he's a quality commodity. He has called plays before, which is more than we can say for the last couple of offensive play callers the Bears have hired. So that, to me, is a big deal. Regardless of the decision that gets made at QB, just have someone who has actually organized the week of practice and preparation going into an NFL game who has actually taught and scripted. And that to me is the aspect of it is as much as Ryan Poles has talked about development and Matt Eberflus talks about development, the coordinator of that side of the ball, and in this case, the offense is so responsible, not solely responsible, but so responsible for how the players on that side of the ball end up developing. So, you know, I, I think keeping coach Morgan to work with the O line Sure, that makes a lot of sense because if you got a good one, try to keep him in house. I would imagine they had that conversation with Shane Waldron, and he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. That's that guy can coach. Let's do it." Um, so to have that 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 sort of parallel and whatever continuity that might provide is a good thing within a very similar system to what they've already been doing. But you know, in, in the end, he's experienced and has been successful with a variety of types of QBs. So I think the hire makes sense. I had a friend ask me this morning if I knew what Matt Eberflus's offensive philosophy was. And I said to this person, no, I, I actually don't know what his offensive philosophy is. And it might be something that gets asked of him over the, the next couple of weeks. They, they make the, uh, the introductory hire. What do you think it is from what you've seen? And maybe it's nothing because the offensive coordinator that they had is gone. <laughs> so maybe it didn't jive with what, his actual offensive philosophy is it's what my impression of his philosophy is very similar to the teams who've sustained success most in the NFL I went through some numbers I was on with Gabe on Friday night and I spent some time after all my self-care during the day Friday I came back home and spent a couple hours just looking up who are the teams that have been most successful in the National Football League over the last quarter century like through some of the Bears QB draft picks since 99 and all the different franchises up till now 
and teams like Philadelphia and Seattle and, you know, San Francisco was kind of, you know, they've been successful, but like that first decade of the 2000s, San Francisco wasn't great, but they've especially now been able to sustain success through multiple head coaches and a variety of quarterbacks. And uh, I removed Indianapolis, Green Bay, Pittsburgh. I removed some of those teams from that conversation because I think those are the ones who you can most point to a Hall of Fame quarterback or in Green Bay's case, multiple Hall of Fame quarterbacks have led to them sustaining success over the course of a couple of decades here. There's a bunch of squads who you point to running the football effectively and playing good defense. And then regardless of whether Carson Wentz is your QB and his great football only happens when he's there with you or Nick Foles, the only good football he plays is there when he's with you in Philadelphia. But when you consistently play defense and you have an offensive approach that values running the football, you don't have to have Patrick Mahomes to be able to be successful. When you get a Patrick Mahomes type or an Aaron Rodgers type, that's great. But in Green Bay the last couple of years, when Aaron Rodgers was still there, his best football was sustained because they started to value running the football again in a way that they had stopped. So I believe that's what Matt Eberflus wants to be. That's what he mentions most frequently. He wants to run the football and find opportunities for the attack pass. And I would imagine that came up in their conversations with Shane Waldron. And in Seattle, they, they were able to do that. They were able to value running the football and find the attack pass to DK Metcalf. Yeah, it, it's so interesting to me how – we, I think because of what he wanted initially and then adding the play calling to it, I don't know if Matt Eberflus has even necessarily developed what his identity mm. is as a an offensive head coach. And that's okay. Totally. Because if his answer, if, if asked directly, what's your offensive philosophy? My offense is score enough points for us to win. <laughs> score enough points for us to win the Super Bowl. But you, I think you want and, something to hang your hat on, though. Well, right? I, all, you, you, I do want... think he when he talks about complementary football, mm-hmm. I'd like to know to what extent that defines his clock management, his and and the play calling that he wants, risk assessment, and, and risk assessment, like what's outside your comfort level, like Dan Campbell. Coaches, I mean, who was never a coordinator on either side of the ball, of course, but he coaches through the lens of what I would term as complementary football because of the fact that he wants to run and he values defense and he wants to set his quarterback up for advantageous reads without putting too much on his shoulders. And he values all four downs. Exactly. That he, that, that's my point. That Dan where, Campbell is, he understands, like you'd think that maybe he's like, well, I know that I've got Aiden Hutchinson and I've mm-hmm. got some ass kickers on defense. I'd rather, you know, punt and pin. He's like, uh uh-uh. uh. I'm at my Let's own 44, and, and, and he knows that there's – He has an experienced quarterback who has played at a high level in the time that Dan Campbell has coached him and Jared Goff. He's got an offensive coordinator who's got all the faith in the world in. And even though he's got a defense that's been very up and down, but that sustained aggression on offense can still operate through these sort of traditional – football sensibilities of wanting to be great on the line of scrimmage and wanting to run the football first. And then, yes, when we get to a fourth down, we're willing to to operate on that realm too. And I think Dan Campbell has very effectively combined traditional sensibilities with maybe a metrics-based sort of approach on on finding that fourth down aggression. I I think he overdoes it at times, but on the whole, it's still gotten them in the NFC Championship game. How do you feel about the the fumble touchback rule? Um, I mean – uh, just because I grew up with it, it doesn't bother me. I, I understand and, and accept that that's kind of what football is. But does it make sense? Is there is there kind of a cogent explanation for why that is the case? I don't think it's one of those things that, that to me, you can explain in a way that succinctly says, this is why you're penalized in that way. 
while at the same time you do recognize you're, you're taking a risk when you do that. Now, the one we saw over the weekend, or yeah, just last night, Kansas City and Buffalo, you know, that wasn't a guy trying to reach out for the end zone at the last second. That was just something that, you know, the fumble was caused and then fumbles, you know, back over his head basically. But it's it's not a rule that I look at and say bothers me. Well, because it's always been there is probably the main reason it doesn't bother me. But if they changed it, you wouldn't have a problem with it. I, I think if they changed it, the explanation would be this is overly punitive for the situation. And I think that's probably accurate. I think it's more punitive than what needs to be for that situation because it's not its not like you're gaining some big offensive advantage. You're not allowed to fumble it forward into the end zone and score a touchdown anyway. So, you know, with that as the case, it doesn't really bother me that, that that rule is there. So if they change it, I think there would be a very good explanation for why that rule would no longer exist. It's funny too, Dan, because I feel like the Dan Campbell going for for fourth down, it's, it's almost like his personality plays into what is statistically proven to be the right call. Hmm. Like his personality is we're going to be aggressive. And it, the quants are like, Hey, yes. Yeah. <laughs> they found a vessel for their yes! intelligence. It just happens to be Dan Campbell. And it's like, ex- exactly. So not like with top bowls in the two point conversion. Did you guys talk about that at all yet? No, I, I, I didn't. I didn't love that. I, I felt like I didn't like the way Collinsworth blithely explained it as if this look, it's right. And here's why it's right. And I'm thinking, no, like, you don't necessarily it say, just well, seemed unnecessary. You say we can get it. We, we can try for it now and we can get it later. It was like, well, if you need it later, you can get it later without risking it. It was, now. It was gratuitous. It was, uh, and, and Todd Bowles is not, he's a gratuitous blitzer, but as far as his in-game management situations, his decisions are fourth downs and two point conversions. He's not one of these new metrics based right. guys. It seemed overcooked. I, I thought so. And you know, I, I think there's a case that you can make either way and they didn't lose the game by doing it. You still had the opportunity to be down eight. But as I was watching the game, we were over at a friend's house yesterday, and a couple of people said, oh, and actually one of them was a little kid. Like, yeah, are they probably going to go for two? He was like, yeah, I don't think so. I think they'll probably just kick the extra point. And here they are going for two. I thought that on that Campbell's decision or failure to challenge the Baker Mayfield ankle on the ground was going to be hmm. his undoing. That's what I thought. I thought, oh, no. And then, then we go back to that if, if Baker's able to, to pull the thing out. But he wasn't. He he wasn't able to do it. And the, to go back to Todd Bowles, I this I I don't ordinarily say this, especially when it comes to Todd Bowles. I thought he coached scared on defense mm. in the fourth quarter of that game. The cushion that Lions receivers were getting <laughs> at the line of scrimmage, I was like, this is like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and Jared Goff was like, oh, okay. Uh. Seven yards, six yards, five yards. 12 yards yeah. because of the cushion that they were playing. I'm like, no, this isn't what Todd Bowles does. <laughs> like, what are y'all doing up here? Uh, I'm playing scared. Right. Supposed to be dictating terms yes! with his blitz package, and they were not dictating terms to anyone with their blitz package. And, yeah, you know, I think that a lot of that, when you, you have a coach who has traditional sensibilities, but that, that ability to combine what takes place in game with a with situational aggression and awareness, that's the del- delicate balance a lot of coaches face. All right, Aquaman. By the <laughs> by, the way, the that movie's terrible. Um, the, the new one, yeah, it's, oh, it's really bad. It's and it has some funny moments, and you're kind of there just because. I didn't love the first. I, I like Jason Momoa, I, but I, I, I didn't that's love why the first one. I, I like him too. Yeah, and he's he's super likable in this. Mm. It's just bad. Yeah, it's, that's too bad. It's, it, yeah, but they're redoing all of DC, so it end up being fine. Big Ann Heron is working everywhere, all the time, all week. 
and then he's getting beat up by people. I am going to cut my hair. I, I gotta, I'm got i going to be on the Big Ten Network the next couple of days. I was going to try to let it grow out because it's the off season for me, but I'm I got I'm a haircut on, Saturday. I'm going too. back to TV, so I, I got a couple of days of I had TV my, coming up. I had to negotiate mine. Should have just went all the way. No, Beth didn't want me to cut my hair. Uh, She's like, I like it long. I said, it's raggedy, it's shaggy, it's yeah. bad. So Cut your hair, hippie! <laughs> it's, so, but no, but she said, all right, I'll make you, she, you do it, but just clean it up a little and don't take too much length off of it. Yeah. I'm like, fine. <laughs> so we, we, your, your niece's bat mitzvah in Brooklyn uh, is okay. this weekend. Right. And you're, you're you're just, good reason, so, so I said, fine, I'll do whatever you want me we're to walking do. Walking in the bat mitzvah looking like a hobo. Right. I didn't want to. Mm. So, and she's already told me what I'm wearing. For Get everything. a ponytail. <laughs> I should. I should grow like a huge, like a mustache, like I have a. Hell yeah! How about a Hitler mustache? Don't do that. No, that wouldn't be good. The only person that got away with that was Michael Jordan. And, and I swear, it's like nobody would tell. Him. No one would say anything. Mike, you know, you know that's a Hitler mustache. It might be why him and Barkley aren't friends anymore. <laughs> Just say, Mike, Mike, I, I know you're, you're selling the Hanes T-shirts and on the airplane, but you know you got a Hitler mustache, right? <laughs> Nobody said anything. That's Big Ann Heron. We will come back. We will do High Noon. Yeah, these, the early teasers for what I think are some Super Bowl ad campaigns began, and there are a couple commercials that are just like I feel like I'm on LSD, like bizarro and bad. I have a legend butchering my favorite sandwich. That's next. Bernstein and Holmes. Middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score in Odyssey Station. I'll be back this way on Monday. We'll settle this then. Right there, out in the street, in front of the Palace Saloon. Yeah, right. When? High noon? It's high noon. Where we first tell you what we have been talking about, and we discussed the Bears being on the verge of hiring Shane Waldron, not Shane Reardon. He's just the offensive coordinator. They should hire him as chef. Shane Waldron as offensive coordinator, and he's another Trace Armstrong client, and that means Trace Armstrong, the unseen hand. Behind the bears. The, the shadowy figure. The shadow executive pulling strings. Because here comes your general manager, and here comes your coach, and now here comes your offensive coordinator, and it just... It, it all, might be coincidence. Maybe, but it also allows us to wonder, well, maybe they said, hey, 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 Trace, what if uh, what if, if we keep Eberflus... Keep your mans. We keep your mans. Could you help steer our first choice of coordinator to us, perhaps? You just never know. And uh, news and notes from around an exciting NFL weekend continued through uh, two segments with Anthony Heron. With Belichick leaving New England and Saban leaving Alabama, there have been a lot of cool video, like, retrospectives of them together when they were at the Browns. And I will say the coolest part were those sweaters, those brown sunglasses. Not the sunglasses so much for me, but like the script brown sweaters that they would wear. So I ran across this. This is the most likable that you'll ever hear of Bill Belichick. And it's him giving his mother's recipe for a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Coach Bill Belichick of the Cleveland Browns. Bill, welcome to the show. Uh, nice to be here, Mike. Oh, thank you. And I know we have a very uh, special recipe today, one you, you've held in secret for many years, but you're going to share it with us today. Right, it's the BBPBJ. BBPBJ, what is that? Bill Belichick's peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, how divine. I see we have all the ingredients here for you, so I'm just going to stand back. You're the master of this, let you go, and 
and follow you as you as you make the sandwich. Well, we'll start with the raisin bread. Why raisin bread, bro? Well, my mother used raisin bread. Oh, mothers are divine, aren't they? Oh, they sure They're are. They're just the best. She she yeah. made the best ones. Yeah. Oh, and chunky peanut butter. That's that's quite a risk because you know the shards of peanuts could can tear the flesh of the of, of, of the, the bread. That's quite an advanced technique. Well, it has a little more crunch to it, and uh, that really gives you a little extra energy. But the key to it, uh, Mike, is to spread peanut butter on both sides of the bread. Oh, why? So that the jelly doesn't uh, leak through in the sandwich. And put the jelly right here in the middle. That's why you're the head coach. It's forward thinking like that. It's just. I've never seen that. Oh, wonderful. And you spread it out nice and evenly, and by the end of the day, it's not leaked through. You can have a nice sandwich. Right, this, this jelly won't leak through because of the peanut butter on both sides of the bread. <laughs> so, okay. raisin bread, chunky peanut butter, and jelly. That's a lot of texture. There's a lot going on there, but it was so he was so excited to, like, and you could see the chef being like, I don't think that's a good idea at all, really. Oh, chunky chunky peanut butter on raisin bread. A lot of texture. For your PB&J. Like, that's enough. I'm just not enough of a PB&J fan to have a a strong thought. I will leave that to the Barry Rosners and all the NBA players who are very passionate about the PB&J. I am now become really into sourdough PB&J. I've actually got PB&J today. It's a good call. It's never a bad choice. Facts. Starting to get some ideas of the ad campaigns that are shaping up. One of those ad campaigns that's been very successful over the years, by the way, is the progressive uh, Dr. Rick keeping you from turning into your parents. And my favorite actor from those is going to join us on Thursday. We got Mike Nelson and... Our guy, Mike he's, Nelson. He's, he's going to give you all sorts of bears meatball-y thoughts. Bears and socks and everything. Of course, all roads lead back to bears meatball fandom, and that's one of the reasons he wanted to come on. But he's he's my favorite actor on those, so we got to see him uh, over the weekend. But there were a couple that are just like, I want to say no. And if, oh. if they were annoying or weird on purpose just to have me talk about them, then I understand I'm playing into their hands. But that Andres Cantor Zoom commercial... Never, I miss this. Ne- Can you describe it, please? Never again. Andres Cantor, the famous uh, soccer broadcaster who's known for his extended call of goal, he did the same thing with Zoom, and it lasts 30 seconds. Oh, oh, don't do that. And they have their people typing Zoom with all the O's in it. And the problem is, during a football game, I don't want to be reminded of work. And I know Zoom has been incredibly convenient and useful, but it's Zoom means work, and it, it's being screamed at and being made to think about work was just not a good combination for me. The one that is really out there, did you see the commercial for the ice cream drumstick? Well, I, I don't, actually don't believe you can call it ice cream. Well, That's been one of the things. That, ice, C-R-E-M-E, ice milk or whatever it happens yeah, to be. It's, called, it's actually the, not called ice cream. The drum, it's called something it's else. It's called a Sunday cone is what it's called. Drumstick Sunday cones. Does not qualify quite, to be ice cream. Qu- quite, uh, it, I don't know what it is. Technically, I think it might be ice it, it might be ice milk, but they call them Sunday cones. Either way, it was, it was disturbing. They're at TSA, and a woman, the the bag goes through, and the x-ray is nothing but drumsticks, and she opens it up, and she says, whose are these? And he said, that would be me, and she looks down, and there's like this little puppet, and the puppet says the name is Umstick, 
Dr. Umstick. <laughs> and when you go to their website, Dr. Umstick is part doctor, part action hero, and part philosopher king. A man who is mystified by life's mysteries and rightfully obsessed with drumstick Sunday cones. They are his muse, sidekick, his crutch, and his one true love. He is a figure of action, but vulnerable. He lives life one day and one drumstick at a time. It's called a frozen dairy dessert. There it is. And he has friends. There's a whole gang of characters as part of Dr. Umstick. There is his friend Brew, B-R-U. There's Mr. Punky, who is a robot. Oh, Punky. He seems dense, but frequently pierces the attention in a room with wise advice. Like a bumbling grandpa with a touch mother, his words are optimistic and encouraging. One of Dr. Umstick's close friends. And then there's Samantha, who looks like a cabbage patch kid. A calming presence in crisis capable of a roundhouse kick, motorcycle papa wheelies, and being the connective glue for her circle. That kind of feels like someone's kid was like, why don't you just call him Dr. Umsticks? They're his friends, they're his cohorts. They're Dr. Umsticks' most relied-upon companions. So I'd say settle in, because this isn't getting any less weird. It's definitely weird, and that is High Noon. We do it every day around this time. When we come back, Dan Weeder is going to tell us everything he knows about Shane Waldron. That's next on The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.